This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. That is edmfoundations.com. In this interview, I talked to Rick Snowman, widely acclaimed producer, ghost producer, and author of the Dance Music Manual. If you know who Rick is, you'll know he's been around for a while. The Dance Music Manual was first published in 2004 and continues to be the go-to book for electronic music producers looking to get into the craft. I read it early on when I was starting out. It helped immensely. Uh, I've recommended it to thousands of producers. And there is a reason for that. If you haven't checked out the book, make sure to get it. In this interview, we talk about a range of stuff, including how limitation breeds creativity, why you need to stop putting so much pressure on yourself, treating production as a job, and how Rick approached networking. And this one's my favorite topic. There's some great insights in there. Also, Rick and Pete over at dancemusicproduction.com have been kind enough to offer an exclusive 20% discount code on all tutorials on the website, except for the new mastering one. Just head over to dancemusicproduction.com and use the code EDMPROD20 at checkout. That is EDMPROD20. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the discussion. You can find the full show notes for this episode at edmprod.com slash 61. That is edmprod.com forward slash 61. Welcome back to the EDM Prodcast today. I'm joined by Rick Snowman. Rick, how's it going? Uh, good, thanks. Good. Very good. How about you? Really good. I'm, I'm really excited to have you on the show because I got into music production Oh, it must have been about eight years ago. And your book, The Dance Music Manual, uh, was one of my early reads, which cleared up a lot for me and connected a lot of the dots. And I know that a lot of people listening to this will have read your book, uh, Dance Music Manual, but they may not know much about your background, about your story. So I'd love to hear the details there. How did you start out in music and, and how did you get to where you are today? Uh, well, I've been producing electronic dance music since around 1989 somewhere around there. It was in the early 80s. I owned um, a 48K Spectrum and a Commodore 64. Uh, to be honest, it was the music that they had in those games. It always interested me. Artists like Rob Hubbard and, and Tim Follin, these guys were pioneers of video game music. And I was always interested in, but I couldn't program a computer. Uh, I couldn't program it for shit. Can I curse on here? Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but it wasn't around, it, it was around, I'd say about 87, 88. And, um, I used to frequent a club in Manchester called the Hacienda, which was close to where I lived. And uh, they had the DJ Mike Pickering there, who was playing what I suppose you could call the, the very early forms of house music with John De Silva. And it was one summer they'd installed this huge swimming pool in the dance floor. And uh, shall I say, I experimented with a few pharmaceuticals. And it, it was then that it really hit me that I, I really wanted to start making this form of music. Uh, but back then, like in 88, 89, we didn't have the internet, you know, dance music was pretty much unheard of. Uh, so all I could do really was get hold of um, 
magazines, which was uh, ST format and Atari ST user, because they were the only magazines that would talk about making music using a computer. So I think it was around 1990, I bought uh, an Atari ST520 with a, a, a dodgy version of Cubase 1 from a car boot <laughs> sale. And um, alongside that, I got a Roland S10 and I bought an Akai S1000 and a Juno 6. And I had this really crappy four-track tape machine. So I'd, I'd try and make music and I'd record it this four-track tape machine. And I'd take the cassettes into the Hacienda and uh, I'd get John De Silva to play them out one of his hot nights. Um, now, at that time, I was a mechanic, and I picked up a copy of uh, Future Music, it was around 91, 92, and I remember an interview with Todd Terry, and in there, th- th- there was just some words that struck, they really struck a chord with me, and it was, um, if, if you're really dedicated to making music, you've got to do it full-time, you've got to quit your job. So I just, I just took it, I just went in work and asked them to make me redundant, left there and just just went in to produce music to do it full time um and i was lucky enough that while i was doing music for the hacienda for for mike's player i was meeting a few guys in there around the local studios in manchester so i started to speak to them and i I got jobs at tape pop in one of the small studios in manchester Mm. and it just kind of grew from there um i've I've made loads of white labels I've, i've released music under all sorts of different guises from uh Red Five, Endgame, Marley, Elusive, Nelson, Robin Hood. Uh, I did Phaedra. I've, I've remixed Britney Spears, Kylie, Madonna, Sugar Babes, Justin Timberlake. Um, and then I got the opportunity to write some articles and reviews for Compute, Compute Music and Future Music. Uh, and I ran a monthly column in Computer Music Magazine. And after I'd stopped there, that's when I started writing the Dance Music Manual because um, one of their agents got hold of me through future music and I still write a book on it and being as there were no books out at the time and when I was first learning this I had, I had these crappy magazines this ST format and ST user I thought I'd, I'd really like to, to, to do a book on that so uh, I wrote that book and now I spend most of my time producing video tutorials for, for dance music production and also working as a, a ghost producer. That's right when did the first edition of the dance music manual come out? That was 2004 2004. Uh, what what has changed since the first edition in terms of technology, in your opinion? What has changed since then? Fundamentally, a lot of it has remained the same. Uh, obviously, Ableton came out since then because I didn't include Ableton in the first edition. Um, but it, in reference to, to doors and, and what is used, it's remained pretty much the same. Not a lot has changed um, in that respect. Obviously, new genres have appeared. But in terms of technology, it's pretty much remained the same, apart from obviously instruments have moved from hardware into software. But again, they're mostly copies of hardware anyway, so it's it all applies. Now you, I mean, you were getting into this in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, and back then, we, like you said, there wasn't, the software wasn't that advanced. Over the past 25 years, it's become, it's got to the point where anyone can just, uh, download software on a modern laptop and make music, which I think is amazing. Do you think there's a downside to this um, increased accessibility though? Because I, part of me thinks that the lack of limitations, which used to exist, the lack of limitations leads to, to less creativity. 
I'd agree with that as well. I think part of the problem as well is um, the free availability of software as well. I don't think that's helping the situation at all. I think I think that people are starting to collect more and more and more rather than try and work with limited amount of gear. Um, I say when I first started, I had an Atari and Cubase and a few bits of MIDI gear, and that was it. And I had to make the best out of that. And I felt that that pushed me more rather than today where I can open up a door and I've got 300 plugins that will all do a similar job. And I find it just confuses it rather than, than helps me be more creative. So when I work in a door now, I tend to keep everything as, as limited as I possibly can. I try not to run a lot of plugins or, or a lot of virtual instruments or anything. I try and restrict myself right down. So I just find it much more easier, easier to experiment with, with less gear. I what advice would you give to um, beyond that to, to producers who struggle to be creative when they're producing? Because I think that's a big problem. I've got something of a diametric view on creativity when it comes to dance music because I don't think it requires you to be naturally creative as a creative person. Um, if you listen to dance music, we're not really musicians. We're, we're not producing some huge opus. I think we're more akin to engineers. And so I think what it really requires is an inquisitive disposition. Um, you don't have to look at the history of dance music and the resultant genres. You know, you have to ask whether these genres and tracks were, were truly born from somebody sat there being suddenly hit by this bolt out of the blue, this creative innovation, or whether it was a result of, well, what happens if I press this button here? Um, for example, nudging kicks off the beat for breakbeat or sample shifting a drum loop for drum and bass. It, is that really creative inspiration or is it kind of like more an experiment in sound? I mean, the majority of dance music today is still composed in A minor. You don't hear many tracks employing, say, Mixer Lydian, Lydian or Dorian. You either have major or minor. Um, we don't push musical boundaries in a creative way. I think that rather what we tend to do as dance musicians is we experiment with our gear, we push its limits. And by experimenting in that way, I think that way we become creative. Uh, we don't know the outcome, but we can be surprised by it. And in turn, that becomes creativity. So it's something of a polar opposite. You know, to my mind, you need more of an experimental disposition rather than a purely creative spirit to do this. I really like that. Uh, and I've kind of thought about it the same way. What a lot of new or younger producers struggle with is this pressure to create music that will be successful and as a result they don't experiment because they think that um well it's hard to explain but there's there's too much pressure they think they have to make a hit every time they're in the studio and so they stick to what they know which i think is a massive issue i, I think that's a problem as well that people go and sit in the studio but i think that's also time pressure i think when people work and you come home from work, your time is very precious. So you tend to sit down and think, I must create something spectacular or I'm wasting my free time, uh, which was one of the feelings that I had um, back when I was working as a mechanic. I, I had that, that, you know, I'd come home, my time was very valuable because I'd spend most of it in work. So I'd have to rush and try and get something down. And it was only when I, I took that plunge and I quit work that I realized that you don't have to sit there and produce an opus. You don't have to produce a hit. You just have to produce something. And I think it's really important that when you are sat there producing something, whether it's just a drum loop or, or maybe even a full track, whatever you do, you've got to finish it. 
I think one of the worst things you can do is, is jump on something, play with it for so many hours, and then think, oh, it's rubbish, I'm never going to touch it again. No matter how bad it is, I feel it's really important that you do finish that. You go right from the beginning right to the very end because in a few years' time, you can go back and you can listen to that and you can hear how you've improved. Whereas if you're constantly deleting things, thinking, oh, that's a lot of crap, I don't want to keep that anymore, you've nothing to refer back to to see how you're improving. So I think you need to be able to sit there and just think, this doesn't have to be a hit. It just has to be something, something that I like because I think that, that creativity for me anyway, is in direct proportion of my ass to my chair. Um, if you sit there and just think, I've got to wait for this, this bolt from the blue to hit me before I write something, you're never going to write anything. You've, you've got to actually sit down, sit in front of your door and start working on it, and something will come to you as you work, which is, as I say, with the experiment. Just sit there, experiment, and something will come to you. But if, if you just sit waiting for this creative inspiration to strike from, from anywhere... I don't think that, that electronic dance music works in that way. I don't think that we can think in that way that, that we suddenly come up with a melody that works because a lot of dance music is stripped back. It is very raw, emotional, and that's, that's the whole purpose of it. So we don't want complex melodies or complex chord progressions. So you, you need to sit down, strip back, and keep everything simple and, and just sit there and just experiment just experiment 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 and something will come from it i'm so glad you said that because i think if you look throughout history at artists whether they be uh, musicians or, or painters in the past they all had this mindset of if, if i sit down and i do the work something will come and i feel like at least in the last 10 years um there's this whole uh, i don't know what you call it an ethos or mindset of I need to be inspired to make music, which is wrong. Um, like you just said, you can sit there, you push through it, you do the work, something will come. I also like that you mentioned finishing uh, finishing music, even if it's not that good, because m- my biggest mistake was stopping. I used to finish a lot of music when, when I had started out, um, finished everything, would finish a song in two days. Then I stopped and I started to develop the habit of not finishing. And then it was really hard to, flip that and finish music again um so i think that's crucial yeah it it does become a hurdle the more that you just sit at your door write half a song and then throw it away write another half a song that the the hurdle becomes taller and taller and taller you've always got to try and finish it no matter how bad you may believe it is finish it anyway and then you can always look back at it in a few years time and think yeah that was terrible but i've got something to reference i can listen back to it and i think I'm doing a lot better than that now with my new music. Absolutely. If there's a there's a new producer listening to this who's been at it for a few weeks, they're just getting into it, they're very confused. What what advice, let's say what three pieces of advice would you give to them knowing what you know? Um the first piece of advice would be you've got to be dedicated. I think a lot of people get confused between loving the idea of making music and loving making music. Uh, there's a big difference between the two. You really have to be dedicated into it. If you, if, if you want to do it as a living anyway, if you want to continue doing it professionally, um, you've got to be willing to make a lot of sacrifices, which means giving up at the weekend, no drinking out with your mates and your buddies, um, putting all your time into it. You've really got to research and just put as much time into it 
as you possibly can. Um, and if possible, you need to make, um, I'm going to give the same advice I got from Future Music from Todd Terry years ago. Uh, you, you need to make the sacrifice of, if you really want to make something of it, you've got to quit your job and put everything into music. Because I really don't believe that you can do a job during the day, come home at night or at the weekend and make something of yourself. I think you've got to put everything into it. You've got to show you've got that dedication. Um, because like I said, back in the old days when we had to buy hardware, you had to show that dedication because you had to spend thousands on hardware. Uh, whereas today you can just pick up a laptop for say $500, something like that. And if it doesn't work, you can play games on it instead. Um, you need the dedication. Uh, second, I've said, be prepared to hit a lot of walls. Um, when I first started, I was hitting countless walls, but there was nothing out there to help me anyway. But um, you'd hit a wall and, and you really would feel like giving up. Um, you can't give up. You've just got to keep going. And everyone, or, or at least in my case, everyone I knew would uh, laugh at me and think, oh, no, you're not going to do anything. Or you're going to be some famous guy. Are you going to be a musician? And they'd laugh and you've got to ignore that. You've just got to keep pushing through, pushing through, pushing through because people will uh, basically take the piss out of you because you're doing something that they're too afraid to attempt. Um, so you've got a bit of push through that way as well. And you've just got to be prepared for walls. Just be prepared to, to be stuck on something, stick at it, keep hitting it and hitting it. And eventually you leap over it and, the feeling that you get from just passing that one wall, that successful feeling is, is indescribable. And it really does push you to do a bit more and a bit more and a bit more. Um, but for those new to producing, I can guarantee you you're going to hit a wall uh, sooner rather than later where you think, I can't write anything. I can't do this. It's not working. Everything I write is utter trash. I'll never be as good as, as another artist or, or whatever. You've just got to keep going. Uh, my third piece of advice would be try and replicate other people's tracks. Don't try and write your own music straight away um, because the problem is you've got no way of really judging your own music. And all, all your friends are going to turn around and go, oh, yeah, it's fantastic or it's terrible. You can't really trust their opinions. Uh, so what you do is try and get commercial tracks and try and recreate them yourselves. Try and copy the melodies, try and copy the sounds, the techniques, try and copy what they're doing. And that way, you've got something to reference to hear how well you're doing in your production ethics rather than just try to create something out of the blue and, and hope that it sounds good. Very true. That is fantastic advice. Doing, doing music full-time, I know a lot of people out there listening to this, you know, just heard you say that and they're thinking, yeah, I would love to do this full-time. I'm just too scared to quit my job. This this is the line I feel um, between somebody who wants to do it as a hobby and somebody who wants to do it as as a dedicated thing. That if you are truly serious about making music, you have to take that step to quit work. I mean, when when I quit work, uh, I ended up living in a, a very poor rented accommodation. I sold my car. Uh, I sold pretty much everything. Everything I had, all I had was a studio, uh, a very poorly equipped studio. But I think you really do need that dedication. I know it's very difficult. It was very difficult for me to turn around to my boss and say, I'm quitting this job that pays me quite well to go and make music where I might make absolutely nothing out of this. Um, but if you really want to make something of yourself, you've really got to take that step. And it is a very, very difficult step. But it's also a step, I feel, 
that that determines whether you're truly serious about creating music for the rest of your life, whether you're truly serious about doing it or whether it's more of a hobby, whether you like the idea of creating music rather than really want to create music. And I think that's the important distinction. If you're willing to quit your job to do this, then that is a true passion for it. And if you've got that true passion, um, I say this to everyone that I work with, I have vocalists in uh, the other week and I was telling them the same thing, that if, if you truly have a passion for this, and you keep at it, you can make something. The people who fall by the wayside are the ones who are truly passionate about it. If you stick at it and you really want to do this, you can make something of yourself from doing it. Do you think there's a certain point where it, it makes more sense to quit one's job? For instance, you know, I've, I've had people email me saying, oh, I'm thinking about quitting my job. I have no savings. Um, I'm 30 sometimes they even have families and they're wanting to quit their work and, and do this full time. I mean, part of me feels like it's a better idea to um, come up with a plan, look at the financial side of things, but at the same time, maybe that's wrong because then you're keeping one foot in each camp and maybe that you're talking about the dedication. Maybe that's not fully dedicated. Um, what are your thoughts on that in terms of timing? I, I understand how difficult it could be uh, in, in terms of time. And I mean, obviously, nobody wants to have no money and, and be financially destitute or something like that. But um, if, if you're in a family, um, for example, um, if you have a girlfriend or, or, or wife or if, if they're working and they are willing to support you, then that is the best thing that can possibly happen. Um there is no right or wrong time to quit your job. I think, as as you say, you can't really keep your feet in both camps. You've got to decide what you want to do with your life. I mean, I'm very much of the opinion that we only have one life. This is it. Take your chance. And you can either spend the rest of your life working nine to five in, in some job that you don't like, or you can take that risk. Now, granted, you may take that risk. You may go so far and think, I can't do this. I, I can't. I, I don't have the skills or I don't have whatever I, I need to do this and then you can go back to work but I think that would be much better than say 20 years down the line thinking I really regret not quitting my job and giving it a go because I could have been something by now um, so you can't really keep your feet in both camps you, you've got to make a decision if you really want to make a living off music you need to quit your job and go into it uh, of course if you want to do it as a hobby stay in your job do music as your hobby but if, if you really want to do this as a profession you can't have your feet in both camps you've either got to choose this is my job and i do this job nine to five for example i i often get asked when i i feel the most creative and it's 9 a.m in the morning until whatever time at night i get up i come down into the studio and this is my job i sit here at nine o'clock in the morning and i work through till whatever time at night to get the job done um you've got to have that dedication to do that. So you can't have your feet in both. You've either got to say, I'm going to do this full time because if you take that risk and you do this full time, you're more pressured to push people, to, to make contacts, to get in touch with people, to try and move yourself forward. Because if you've got a job, you make your music. If it doesn't do too well, who cares? Do you think there's been a, a shift in mindset uh, over the past, say 25 years? Um, in terms of producers and how they think about music and how they approach it. Because what you just said, you get into the studio at nine, you work until the job is done. 
Um, to me, that's work ethic, uh, which sometimes, maybe this sounds a bit pretentious, but sometimes I feel there's a lack of that in today's scene. Um, and maybe that's just a cultural thing. I'm not sure. There is. There is. There's, there's a lack of a work ethic. There's very much a, um, I'm going to do a couple of tracks. I'm going to work a couple of hours a day. I'm going to have the easy life. I'm going to make millions and so on and so forth. I've worked with an, a number of artists and they've been very lapsadaisical with everything. It's, you know, it will turn up at one o'clock in the afternoon, we'll go home at, at three in the afternoon. And it's not really the approach. If you want to do this as a profession, you've got to be prepared to do this nine to five. It, it becomes a job like any other. It, it's not something where you can just say, I'm, I'm not going to work today. I'm not going to work tomorrow. Or, I'm going to turn up at, at 10. I mean, you may turn up in, in the studio, say uh, at 10 a.m., but you would still work the hours. So you're still putting those hours in. And, and today there are a lot of producers who, who kind of think, oh, I'm going to be a producer and I'll, I'll put two hours in here and five hours in here. And you're not going to get anywhere with that that approach. You've, you've really got to sit down and put the time in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm curious, what has been the most challenging point for you in your career um, doing all of this? The, the most challenging point, I think, initially was after I quit work, I spent the first six months, um, actually, I, I was sat in front of, of, of the computer, the, the Atari, trying to do as much as I possibly could, um, but I wasn't getting very far, and it, it, it was the panic there. Uh, that was an incredible challenge to leap over that and think, I could just go back to work, I could get rid of all this, everything would be fine again. Uh, that's your biggest challenge. But as I say, I, I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. I was making contacts. I was contacting everybody I could. Um, and it, it's the only way, as I keep, as I keep stressing, you, you've got to just be there. If you, if you put yourself in that position, you can do it. It's, but it is challenging. And as I said, that first six months, they were horrifically challenging for me because I had, I had no money. I, I had nothing, I really thought this is it. I'm going to be going back to work, begging for a job back. Um, and everyone who worked there would be laughing at me. But once you get over that, it was fine. I, I started to roll as I started to bring more work and I started to do more and more and I started to see releases. I started to feel better about myself. And then I, I built up from there. What are some of the common mistakes that you see producers making? The way that they work with, with their audio um, whenever you're producing music, um, it's very difficult to describe. Um, if, if you want to compress something, typically, a, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see a trainee producer jump in, put a compressor on, blast it right up and absolutely hammer the signal and then jump to the next one without really listening to it. Uh, whereas if I'm approaching something, if, if you get a professional producer approaching something, they won't just throw a single compressor on and just absolutely compress the crap out of it. What you'll tend to do is throw a couple of compressors on and you'll gently sculpt the sound rather than just jump in and, and just absolutely molest it, which is what a, a lot of practicing producers do. They just molest the sound as much as they possibly can rather than truly listening to it and thinking, well, rather than putting a really hard compressor on here, why don't I just put a light compression on and send it out to a bus and apply a couple of parallel compressors to that and gently massage the sound rather than molest it. And I think that is the biggest problem between an amateur production and a professional production, where is in a professional, you'll massage the sound very carefully 
Whereas amateurs will just kind of jump in and molest the crap out of it. And for, for publishing, I think one of the biggest problems that, that a lot of them have is the refusal to network anymore. Nobody seems to network. They just seem to start a SoundCloud account, upload a song onto it, and then spam everybody with it on Facebook saying, listen to my new mix. And they're not networking. They're not, they're not meeting DJs. They're not turning up at DJs with tapes or you know, playing it through the phone or trying to network in that way. They're, they're just thinking that, that SoundCloud will do it for them. If I just spam everybody as much as I possibly can, then, then somebody's going to pick me up. And it doesn't work like that. A lot of the times now, especially if you want to get in with the larger labels, you've got to prove yourself first. You've got to get your numbers up. You've got to get your contacts there. You, you've got to build yourself into the position rather than just upload it somewhere and hope for the best. So what was your approach to networking? Uh, my earliest approach was uh, I'd, I'd call in all the local studios. I'd call in as many as I could, just pop in there, um, basically saying hello. And often I'd take a mix in. Um, which I probably have mixed in another studio, but I take the mix to this studio and say, can you mix it down and kind of sit here while you mix it down? And while I mix it down, I'd sit and chat to the engineer and I'd network that way with that engineer and then I'd take it to another studio and get them to mix it down. Obviously, this cost me money, but I was managing to network with different engineers and that was one of the best ways I found that I did it. So I started to get to know engineers and I got to know them in such a way that I could just pop in the studio without having to mix just to sit there and talk to them. So they would be working with somebody or, or on a mix, but not my mix. And I could sit there and just talk to them. And then I'd learn more things from them. And I got to know more and more engineers that way. And then, as I say, I used to, when I, I, I'd write the music, um, I'd take it over to uh, John Silver, and I'd just give it to the DJ and say, do you want to play this out? Give it a go. You know, it, it might do something. It might do nothing. Um, and, and generally, you do find that as long as they're not huge name DJs, um, they will play it out. If it does quite well, that DJ is going to promote it because he's going to play that tune more. Um, so that's another way you can network. And all, all these are much preferred ways than rather just uploading it somewhere and hoping for the best. You, you've got to meet people. You've got to get in contact with people. Um, there's plenty of tutorial companies on the internet now. Get in touch with those. Speak to them. Because the people doing the tutorials will know people in the industry. Just network, talk to as many people as you can in the, the genre that you're doing or, or whatever part you want to do. Try and network and build relationships with people. And it just seems to be a lost art now, which is, is why so many are struggling to get anywhere with it. I agree. Uh, one thing I've struggled with, and I know others do, is the balance between working on the craft and networking. Because obviously if you spend... 90% of your time networking and 10% of your time working on the craft on making music, uh, you're still not going to get very far. But if you spend no time networking, same story. What do you think is a good balance? Um, or, or did you think about this early on, how much time you should spend networking versus making music? I did. What what I would typically do is um, I would I would set a certain amount of days for making music and a couple of days for networking. So uh, when I first started this, I, I said that um, Saturday, uh, I always had Sundays off because another thing you don't want to do is push yourself too hard. Don't do music every day. You must have another hobby as well because if you do music every day, you become tired of it and it, it puts us noise. So you've got to have another hobby. So I, I chose that Saturday I would work on the music. Sunday would be a day off, a hobby day. 
And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'd work on music. And then Thursday, Friday, I'd take off to network. So I was spending most of my days producing the music, but the other two days I would be off networking. Um, usually, as I say, going to other studios, asking them to, to mix my track or meeting engineers. Um, and then in the evenings, if I could, I would try and get out to meet DJs, uh, speak to DJs, try and give them my mix. A lot of them will turn you down and say no, but the more knockbacks you get, the more persistent you've got to become, really. I've, I've lost count of the amount of knockbacks I've had. Um, but I just keep going and going and going and going. And then you find DJs that knock you back two years ago. And I was saying, oh, can I have a copy of your track? Because you, you, you've picked up that much. They, they want a copy of your track. So you just can't take no. You just got to keep pushing and pushing and pushing, which again is, is where your dedication comes in. Dedication that leads to persistence, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about, uh, you know, you've got the dance music manual, but then there's dance music production tutorials, um, and that is dancemusicproduction.com. Tell us about those tutorials and why they're different, because obviously, as you and I both know, there are thousands of tutorials on YouTube and and so on and so on. A lot of them aren't good. Um, Tell us about yours and and why they're different. Um, (laughs) It it was a case of... um I want to, I've seen a few production tutorials because uh, obviously you never stop learning in this game. You're always learning something new. Um, so after I released the dance music manual um, and, and the internet was picking up and I think it was about four or five years after the dance music manual, the first tutorial started to appear and I started to watch them. And the, the, the problem was it was very, um, put this on here, turn that up, right? Then put this there, turn that up. So, I mean, it's like, you know, let's drop a compressor on this channel Let's dial that in, right. Let's drop a, a compressor on this channel, let's dial it in. And there was no, well, let's put a compressor on this channel. Now, the reason we're using a ratio here, or the reason that we're setting it like this, is because. And the, the problem I felt is that with tutorials that just drop things in and don't explain why you're putting them there, is you're training a bunch of robots then. People are just doing the same thing. Oh, well, I'm putting this compressor on here. And I've had artists in, I'm, why, why have you put that limiter on there? Oh, I saw it in a tutorial. And why have you put it on there? Well, that's because that's what he did. And I think if you understand the whys of what you're doing, you can do more with it. Um, And that's what my tutorials were about, really. I I wanted to show the whys rather than just do this, do that, do that. And it's often like uh, many of the tutorials are like 14 or 15 hours long. And that's because everything I do, I like to describe step-by-step why I'm doing what I'm doing, not just, oh, I'm putting this on here, that's it. Rather, I'm putting this compressor on here because I want to, for example, bring up the the release of the snare and bring the snare up and just crush the transient slightly rather than just put it on and do this, this, this and and, and go for it. So it seems to have struck a chord with a lot of producers. I mean, some producers don't like the the amount of time I take to, to describe everything I'm doing every step. Um, but there are a number of producers who, who actually really enjoy the whys of what I'm doing because it helps them obviously understand what they're doing when they start to work on their projects. What are some of the tutorials you have on there, like in terms of topics, uh, for those who don't know? Um, we've got plenty of tutorials. Uh, I kind of split them off into different um, areas. I've got, I've got one that's called techniques, uh, and basically that explains uh, synthesis, 
frequency modulation synthesis, um, sound design, layering, things like that. Uh, then we have another section, which is genres, which I just talk about tech house, techno, how to produce those those style of genres. And then we have uh, what are called basic sessions, where I explain reverb, uh, which is like a four-hour course on exactly how reverb works, mm. where we'd want to use it, why we want to use it, how all the controls work. And in, in things like sessions, I, I cover, as I say, reverb, compression, uh, delay, simple things like that. So the idea was people could pop to the site and they could say, I want to learn this genre of music or rather I want to learn how to program a frequency modulation synthesis and they could then choose that tutorial instead or I want to learn about reverb and they can pick that out instead. I see, I see. Um, and that is dancemusicproduction.com. Cool. Um, Rick, I really appreciate your time. I've got one more question for you. Uh, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> there's a lot of advice I've given myself when I was 20 um, don't worry <laughs> don't, don't worry as much as I did because uh, back then as I say you know, quitting my job I was panicking I thought I'd never do anything good I'd never do anything worthwhile and I think that's the biggest problem with music is when you first start producing music your music tends to be not the best uh, is one way of putting it. You, you tend to, to think, oh my God, this is terrible. I'm never going to sound as good as um, such a body. Um, but I'd, I'd go back and, and try and calm myself down and say, yes, you know, you will get as good as those eventually. You will figure this out. It does come with time. It's, it's, it's a challenge. There's a lot of walls you've got to overcome. There's a lot of networking you've got to make, but at the end of it, it really is worth it. And, and anyone can do it, really, if you just put the time and the dedication in. <laughs>